0: This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you are listening to episode 294, and I'm bringing you one more for the week post-race interview from the Marathon Project. Today I'm talking with Noah Drady, who placed second at the Marathon Project in a time of 2.09.09, which was a massive PR. His last marathon, which was a PR as well, in Chicago 2019, was a 2.11.42, and this was Noah's first race since that marathon in October of 2019. So, very exciting to see how this played out for Noah after a really trying year. And Noah gets really honest with us about what that year looked like and how he felt going into this race, knowing that he hadn't raced in 14 months. And wow, we get to hear all about the race as well, how it played out, how he felt during the race, and of course, where his head is at now that he broke that 210 barrier and and he also broke on to be the ninth fastest American marathoner on an eligible course with that time as well. So things are looking up and very exciting for Noah. If you don't know much about Noah's story, make sure you check out his previous episodes on this podcast. He was episode 107 and then he came on again after the Chicago Marathon where he ran that 211.42. Uh, That was episode 205. I've also had his wonderful fiance, Emma, on this podcast, Emma Cortez. She was episode 215. Noah was kind enough to also stay on for an extra 10 to 15 minutes. I think it's somewhere around the 12 minute range, maybe 13, um, for Patreon. So there's some bonus content over there for all Patreon supporters. So when you support this podcast at the $5 level, you can get access to extended conversations with athletes over there. They are occasional. I don't always do extended conversations, but I decided to pull these with Kira and Noah. And then also on Patreon, I do wanna let you know there are two bonus episodes a month, one with my husband, Glenn. You get all the Glenn Hine hot takes only on Patreon. And then Lauren Flores, who is the co-host of the Up and Running Podcast, also in the Sandy Boy Network. So lots of extra episodes over there if you do choose to support this podcast. And I thank each and every one of you who do. It is such an honor to have you supporting over there. All right. I hope that you guys all enjoy this conversation with Noah Drotti. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited to welcome Noah Drotty, third time appearance on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Noah.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I always know something is uh, going right in my life when I get an email from you.
0: <laughs> well, I, I just warned Rory Linkletter that if he keeps getting faster, that I'm going to keep asking him to come back on, so he might want to tread lightly.
1: <laughs> yeah, I try to space out my accomplishments so I don't burn out, um, but no, it's, a, it's an honor
0: too many interviews. So congratulations. (laughs) How are you feeling?
1: Thank you. I'm feeling um, I I don't know exactly how I'm feeling physically. I'm feeling kind of, you know, very beat up and sore still uh, emotionally. I'm not sure the uh, the gravity of it all has really set in yet. So um, yeah, it feels nice to have a little bit of a breather. I think it's always nice in the wake of these big races just to like relax and not really have to focus on anything.
0: Are you back home?
1: I'm back home. Yeah, we actually flew back uh, that day, um, which was kind of, you know, it's really hard to navigate the airport after a marathon. But yeah, we flew straight out.
0: The second most important question is how's Emma doing?
1: She's good. She's uh she's giving the dog a bath right now. Um but I think she's probably just as grateful to have this marathon over as uh, as I am. It's uh it's equally hard on her in the lead up to these things, but uh yeah, she's great. She came out and watched and uh it was really special to have her there. And uh, you know, the course was so unique because we did so many laps that I got to see her so many times. Um and I think that was really special for both of us.
0: She's the best.
1: Yeah, she really is. She's I like, really couldn't do it without her.
0: Okay. So let's talk about, uh, leading up to this race. Super bummed. I know beforehand that you had to drop from the Michigan pro half because of that whole false positive COVID shenanigans. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was like your tune up race because you haven't raced since October, 2019. So tell us yeah. about feelings going into this, having had to have scratched from that race.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was definitely kind of a head trip, um, missing the Michigan race. And, you know, I think when you go so long without racing, in my case, it had been, you know, 14 months or so, I think that can definitely have a negative impact on your confidence. Um, I think racing, you know, can be looked at like a skill that you have to practice. And, you know, I obviously train very hard, but I don't really go as deep as you have to in a race. And so When you get so far away from that feeling, I think you start wondering if you still have it. And so there's definitely some self-doubt that creeps in. Um, and so I was definitely contending with that, but I would say on the flip side, you know, not having raced this year, I was able to train more consistently than I probably ever had before. Um, you know, normally in a marathon buildup I'm racing a few times, and so you're kind of building up, racing, and then resting and building up and racing and resting. And here I was really just able to train consistently and never really had any distractions. And I love to race and I'll race more in the future. But it might have been a blessing in disguise not to have those opportunities, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's crazy that the last time you raced was literally just your last marathon.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I... <laughs> I think I just had to stop thinking about it, to be honest, because it is so long. It's the longest racing drought I've had, you know, in my life since I started running in high school. Um, And so, yeah, just in terms of confidence, I really had to not think about that. I think it helped that my last marathon was also a big personal best Mm -hmm. in Chicago. And so I was coming off a good marathon experience. And so I think that was really helpful. Um but it was yeah, challenging at times to navigate uh, a really long layoff.
0: Yeah, so 21142 to 20909. It's yeah. it's wild. Maybe you need to just take these 14 month breaks and from racing and then next time you'll you know run a 207 or something like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, I I definitely was reminding myself that like Elliot Kipchoge, you know, the greatest marathoner the world has ever seen. He only races twice a year on a normal year. He races two marathons. He does no tune up races, you know, no half marathons. And so, you know, not to I'm definitely not comparing myself to uh, Kipchoge (laughs) here, but I but I was like, okay, if the best marathoner in the world doesn't need that consistent feedback of racing, like maybe I can get away with it.
0: So he can do whatever the heck he wants because he's Kipchoge, but you couldn't really do that anyway, though, because you need to do like appearances and be in races for your sponsor, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is a part of being a sponsored athlete is that you're, you know, technically required to, to be at races and to race, um, my sponsors are really cool about that. They're not really holding me to the letter of the contract in terms of, you know, you hear about some sponsors reducing their athletes if they don't yeah. race in a certain time frame. And I'm really lucky that, you know, Polar and Saucony um, really understood the situation that I was in, and you know, they they did not uh, exercise their right to reduce my contracts. And so I was I was definitely at ease that way, and probably lucky amongst my uh, you know sponsored running friends to to have that set up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've talked to um, one of the Nike athletes. I talked to. She was like, "If we don't get ten races in this year, we get reductions in our clauses." And I'm like, 10 races in 2020? That's crazy."
1: Yeah, you would hope that there was some flexibility on behalf of sponsors, but uh, yeah, like I said, Saucony and Polar have been really cool, and you know, they there is some language like that in, in contracts, but they didn't, they never exercised it.
0: If any year is a year to make exceptions, it, sh- it should be this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. We all just need to help each other out to some extent. I think we all need to recognize that we're all doing the best that we can, you know, and you know, nobody wanted this to happen.
0: Well, let's talk about the race. Yeah, obviously, you know, there was a handful of you guys on that start line who wanted to win the thing and knew that you were in shape to be a contender for that. So tell us about how you felt. We know how you felt at the finish line, but tell us about how you felt (laughs) throughout the race.
1: Yeah, um, this this race was challenging because it was really, you know, all out essentially from the gun. I mean, every athlete in that pack was, well, basically every athlete in that pack was in uncharted territory in terms of the pacing. Um, my, you mentioned my 2:11 PR from Chicago last year. I think that was like a 5:01 average per mile, and in this marathon, we were shooting for around 4:55. Um, per mile. And so that's a pretty drastic um, increase in pace. But we had great pacemakers, we had a, you know, very fast loop to run on, and we had great weather. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, those factors should allow me to make that jump on a good day, that I can that I can handle this pace. And, you know, in the marathon, I think you definitely have to handle waves of anxiety as you cross certain benchmarks five Mm -hmm. miles ten miles and that voice in the back of your head is telling you man you still have you know 21 15 10 to go um and so for me it was really just about staying calm I I kind of had a mantra I'm not like a huge mantra guy but going into this race I was I had a phrase that I was just keeping in my head that was just be a dog and I wanted to just like I wanted to channel the best of dogs who will go, they will run until they can't run anymore and they will be happy to do it. And that's kind of the mentality I was trying to channel.
0: Be a dog. I love that. That's so good. Where did you come up with it?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I've definitely heard like NFL play players (laughs) use it. And you know, it as a synonym of kind of be relentless. Um, and I think that's that's what I wanted to channel. And I also wanted to remind myself like I haven't done this in a while and I love to do this and like, you know, what shows us pure unadulterated joy the way dogs can. And so that was another part of it. And so anytime I was getting really anxious and experiencing self doubt, which we all do and I think I especially do in marathons, um, I tried to come back to that.
0: Listen, you need to make a shirt that says be a dog. That's too bad. <laughs> I mean, because before you even mentioned the like the joyfulness of a dog, that's what I was thinking and I was like, don't be corny, Lindsay. And then you went there and I was like, yes, it's like it's not just about like being a dog, like running until you can't run anymore until you drop, but also like dogs are the best.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's two sides to it. You know, it's about taking something extremely seriously and pursuing it single mindedly but also realizing that this can be fun and I don't necessarily need to take it too seriously.
0: That's so good. You know, I mentioned before that I just talked to Kira D'Amato before I got on with you. And that's what I loved about her and seeing her race. is like, even though she is in there, like so fiercely competing, competing, obviously she got second place as well. Like Mm -hmm. you saw her smile throughout that race and you could tell she was having fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was trying to like, smile during the race as well, even if I didn't necessarily like feel (laughs) happy. (laughs) Um, You know, we've, we've heard that smiling can kind of trick your body into releasing those like good vibe endorphins. And so I was definitely making an effort to smile and just hoping that my emotions followed my, you know, physical gestures.
0: Do you think it helped?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because like I said, those waves of anxiety come and it's really about how you manage them. Because when you're hit with one, you can make two choices. One is to back off and just make an excuse and say it wasn't your day. And the other is to just keep going, you know, and so it's like, what can you do to keep going?
0: What points in the race? And maybe this is a question for like, everyday marathon, I mean, any marathons you ran, but maybe this particular race, what points in the race were those waves of anxiety hitting for you?
1: Um, I definitely hit them earlier rather than later, if that makes sense. And so I always get them like 5k, 10k because, you know, the, the pace never feels easy, right? Like a 455 mile in and of itself, just one will always feel kind of hard. Right, And so you have to you have to realize that like and accept that, yes, this feels kind of hard, but like I can make myself do this for a really, really long time and I can be with this discomfort for a really long time. But those questions are going to pop up and they're going to pop up especially early. And so, yeah, in those early splits, I hit it. Um, and then I was largely able to turn off until halfway. Halfway is like a really good indicator of where you are. It's like the only marathon split that really makes sense to me. Um, and then I'll tune out again until 15, which is what I consider halfway in the marathon. Mm. Um, and then I will just try to get to 20 and at 20, you're so delirious that like (laughs) all you can do is try to finish.
0: Interesting. So in your brain, you consider 15 halfway.
1: Yeah. And I do the same in workouts. Like I always consider really two thirds of a workout to be the halfway point because the end is almost always going to be harder um, than the beginning. And so and it's also helpful in the marathon because I think you can get to halfway and you'd be like, oh, I'm almost done. Uh-huh. But the last. <laughs> yeah. But the second half is going to be infinitely more difficult than the first. And so it's just a mental trick. I mean, sometimes I think 18 is halfway. Yeah. And yeah. And so it's it's just you play game. We play games with ourselves. Right
0: totally yeah when I talked to Marty yesterday he said the 20 20 miles is when the racing really starts do you feel that
1: oh for sure and especially in that in that specific race um, there there weren't really any moves made early because we were all on the limit and mm. when we came through and you know 64. 25 or something like that i mean there were still 20 guys yeah i mean it it was just unprecedented i looked i was running next to jared ward at one point um and shortly thereafter i look over at jared i'm like jared there are so many guys here like this is unreal um and so at that point you the rate you really just have to let the pace take care of people um surges aren't going to help me and so i just have to hope that by the time we get to 18 some of these guys are going to be toast, right? And I'm still going to be there. And then you just see who's there at the end. And that's when you try to make the moves. And so the first move probably happened at, at 20, uh, maybe 21, but it didn't stick. And then Marty really made like the second move. And that was the winning move.
0: Yeah. Did you? When did you know you weren't going to be one of the guys that was going to be toast?
1: Um, <laughs> I don't know, 25 miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I felt strong, my legs were starting to go. But I also realized that the pack had been whittled down, I'd been running near the front of the group for the whole race. And so I didn't have a great idea of what was happening behind me. But at one point, I just realized that there weren't a lot of footsteps mm. um, that I was hearing, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but also, like, we, we had a lead vehicle that was yelling our mile splits uh, at, at every mile. And I was having a pretty good feedback loop because there were miles that felt harder to me, but then I would hear, you know, that was a 450, and I'd be like, okay, okay, of course that mile felt harder, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was kind of validated in my effort. Um, whereas, you know, the opposite, you're working really hard and you hear a split that's slower than you expect. Like, that's not a good sign. Um, and so anyway, the fact that I was still running four fifties at mile 20, I was just like you know, I'm here, I'm not going to let a great day turn into a bad day. And that was really motivating for me.
0: Okay, so this might sound like a silly question. But at that point, at this level that you're running at, how much of that is mental? And how much of that is physical?
1: Um, I mean, in my experience, it's almost all mental. Um, I've never had. I don't know, it's tough to say. I haven't had a lot of experiences where my body just totally quit on me Mm. after making it that far. Usually I know early if it's not my day, but if I make it to 20, I'm still feeling okay. You know, like I'm, I can run for 30 more minutes and, and I like to break it up into time increments instead of mile increments because that feels more manageable to me. Um, and so once I got to that point, I was so motivated but yeah, like I said, I, I have momentum. I have a good day going. Like before the race, my agent Emma, my coach, they all said, hey, man, this like this is your day. Like this can be your day. And that was so motivating because once you once you establish that momentum in the race and you know that all you have to do is maintain, you just don't want to mess it up.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's so important for other people in your life like your coach you said Emma like who say like this is your day like did that ring in your head throughout the
1: race Yeah I mean absolutely because there have been so many days this year that have not been mm-hmm. my day you know and I think we all were kind of of the same mind that like I deserve something to go right this year and this is my only opportunity to do it. And I had good training. We had good conditions. It's like there was no reason. The only one that was going to beat me, um, you know, in my own personal battle was me. Right. And so, you know, Emma sunk a lot of has sunk a lot of energy into me. My coach and agent have stuck with me. Um, You know, this was my opportunity. And I think they kind of know that I'm a gamer. And when I get those opportunities, I'm going to take advantage of them.
0: Yeah. And Josh Cox is your agent, right? Correct. Okay, that's what I thought. Man, he had a busy weekend.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he <laughs> was man. He was managing a lot of the athletes in the field, but also um, him along with Ben Rosario. Rosario put the event on, obviously. So, can't say enough about them. They deserve a standing ovation. It's it's incredible what they achieved in Chandler.
0: Oh, totally. Tell me your thoughts on this. I've heard people um, say stuff about the race, like. Do you think it felt super safe, how how it was ran and everything like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say that everything we do now is a risk, yeah. right? The only way to not experience any risk is to never leave your house. And for some people, that's the right move. And, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I respect that. But, you know, everything we do is you have to take on an acceptable level of risk um, in the cost-benefit analysis, right? And so we all tested negative twice the week of... Masked. There weren't, you know, the tech meeting was virtual. Um, so we did everything we could, you still assume a level of risk. But for me, that level was low enough to justify um, pursuing the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Um, so in that field of men, you kept, you talked about how that group stayed together for so long, which honestly the women's race was super exciting, but the men's weight race was exciting in a different way because you guys were packed up for so long. It was like, there were so many of you that could have been one, two, three, four, five. And a lot of you had those PRs in that two eleven range. So when you were in that pack, like, was that sticking with in your head at all? Like literally any number of you could be the winner because in the women's race, uh, it was pretty, pretty well known that like there were probably about five people that it could have been, you know, in my mind yeah, at least.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I knew that going in that in that two Oh nine pace group, there was going to be 15 to 20 guys. Um, and once you put 20 guys on two Oh nine pace, it's like, okay, we're all going to make it to halfway no matter what, because all of these guys are that talented. And then it's just, I mean, you're just flipping coins. It's it's chance at that point. And so the question becomes, like, why not me? Like, I have just as good of a chance to win as anybody else. And there were guys in that pack that I honestly didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were there and they belonged there. And they had just as good of a chance to win as, you know, Olympian Jared Ward or a guy like Scott Fable. It's like, we're all there. And if I have a great day and they have a medium day, like, I'm going to win. Um and so that's kind of the thought process. It's just like you take a chance and you just wait for the race to develop.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting going into races like this cuz there were so many names. I didn't know who these people were too. I saw you tweet about Ian Butler saying that he probably had the greatest performance of the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. He's a guy who had a 65:30 half marathon PR and we went through the first half in 64:20 and then he kept going to I mean we had a my teammates had an interaction with him earlier in the week where they went on a run they were like oh what pace are you going out at and they were like Ian Butler said he's going to go out at 209 because he said if you're not going out at 209 why the hell are you here wow and I was like whoa (laughs) yeah and so uh you know he proved everybody wrong I think he's an incredible that was an incredible performance
0: and he went he ran what 210
1: yeah, 2 uh no, 20945. He broke 210. Oh,
0: he broke 210.
1: Yeah, Damn. incredible.
0: Yes, yeah, so what do you think about that so many guys breaking 210?
1: Yeah, I mean it's wild. Again, it like a lot of it comes down to conditions. This race was tailor-made for that and uh. so much so much of marathoning and success in marathoning is timing, right? You only get one or two opportunities a year. And some of those opportunities you might get like, you know, horrible Boston weather Mm. or it might be really cold or hot in Chicago. And so we got very lucky yesterday that all of the variables were controlled in our favor and we got great weather. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely of the opinion that that might have been a once in a lifetime or once in a career um, experience.
0: Does it make you think, though, that these kind of smaller, more tailored specifically to the pros races might be something that happens more frequently? I mean, obviously this is a strange year, but it worked out really well.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the answer is financial. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so obviously athletes want the chance to run fast. But this event costed uh, cost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to put on. Yeah. There's basically no prize purse. If you didn't have sponsor bonuses, like Ian Butler made zero dollars for breaking two ten, wow. which is incredible, um, and so incredibly bad. And so, right. basically, what this comes down to is, I I hope this race proved, and I saw a lot of positive reaction from fans on on social media. But I hope this race proves that there is value for these professional professional only races um, for sponsors right and they see it as a sporting event instead of just like a sideshow tacked onto a big city marathon which in my opinion you know you tune in to watch Chicago you're gonna see some of the race but you're also going to see something that just kind of resembles a Thanksgiving Day parade right It's not just about the elite race and so I would love to see these pro level events be taken seriously as elite competition that people want to watch. And if it's proven that people do want to watch this and there is entertainment value, sponsor dollars will flow in. And if sponsor dollars flow in, this becomes something that can happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will be honest. This is the first time I've paid to subscribe to any kind of like forum or platform where I can live stream an event. But to me... That was a no-brainer. I'm like, I I have to watch it live. I'm not going to not watch this thing live. And it was the best $13 I spent all year because if you went to a major sporting event, you're going to pay a lot more than $13, you know? And it was such good entertainment. And honestly, whoever was doing the cameras with USATF or whoever it was, they did a phenomenal job because they split the screens. I mean, I will say you never really saw anybody in the back, but... We were Mm -hmm. we were watching the race to see who was going to, you know, come through in those first few places.
1: Yeah. And I've seen a lot of positive feedback like that. And I hope people, you know, in the business world are taking notice of that excitement and realizing that aligning their brand with these events could be really good for them because there is an audience. And I think in the traditional broadcast model that we have, when you tune in to watch Chicago or Boston, you know, a lot of the drama in the race gets lost and it turns a lot of people off of running who could be fans because the cameras are inevitably going to miss the deciding moves. Mm-hmm. The announcers are not going to be well educated about what's going on. And uh, it's just presented in a way that's not compelling um, from my perspective as a sports fan. And so I think this event proved that it can be done in a compelling way.
0: Yeah. And I loved that they had Des in the announcer, in the commentator box, because it's it's just it's extra special to have someone who um, has done this a million times, you know, been the marathoner out there, but also has like a really fresh perspective on it as well. Like she's done it super recently.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And involving you know, sports personalities is huge too. And you see that, you know, in the NFL sphere, like the pregame shows are all hosted by former greats and the the announcers are former players. And so, um, yeah, I think there is an opportunity in broadcasting to involve these greats of our sport, like Des and Bernard Lagat, like their, their, um, input is important and it's compelling
0: for sure. Okay. So Noah's going to stay on for some Patreon, but before we do that, um, did you feel sick the whole last mile? And did you know as soon as you crossed the finish line that that vomit was coming up?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I was feeling nauseous. Yeah, at, at least the last mile, maybe a little beyond that. And I think that's the main reason I really wasn't able to make a hard charge at the end. But oh. yeah, I pretty much I pretty much knew that I was going to lose <laughs> it. Um, I even I actually threw up a little bit with maybe two or three hundred meters to go. Oh. Um, I don't think the cameras caught that. <laughs> um, but then the rest of it came up at the end of the race. And then I was honestly like pretty sick the rest of the day. So it, it was wow. like I, I definitely went to the well.
0: Yeah. Well, what? why not? If you're going to do it, do it that day.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when you, when you guys turned the corner, um, I think you were like 12 seconds back or something like that from Marty. Mm-hmm. You really, from my couch watching the TV screen, it really looked like you might be able to surge on him, but he looked, maybe he had just enough seconds that it just wasn't going to be manageable.
1: Yeah, I think so. In those last couple of miles, I could feel every now and then he was getting a little closer and uh-huh. I gained a couple of seconds, but it was getting increasingly hard for me to maintain focus. And I was really just trying not to throw up with two miles to go. <laughs> and, uh, because at that point it's like, that's going to cost me time, you yeah. know? And so I kind of had to go into self-preservation mode. And I think the gap kind of stayed static after that.
0: And then when did you kind of feel like you had a sub... T- I mean, you were well under sub 210, but when did you kind of feel like you had that locked in?
1: Um, I didn't know I, I until I saw the finishing line clock. Um I knew we had gone through halfway on pace and I knew we had continued to chip away at it, but I had no idea what my splits were in the last few miles. And so I was running blind at that point, which is fine. I was really focusing on racing. I wanted to catch Marty. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't really know the reality of the time until I saw the clock.
0: But did you know you had a big PR locked in at least?
1: Yes. Yeah. I yeah. knew that I was going to PR by a lot, but I—I it could have been 210. It could have been 209. I nine. I—I really didn't know what it was going to say.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Noah. Well, you know, Indiana, you made Indiana proud. I'll tell you that.
1: Thanks. I definitely have the Indiana record on my mind. Um, it meant a lot to get by somebody like Rudy Chapa to take that one spot.
0: Yeah. I was wondering about that. I saw the, well, I saw the IndyStar article. I saw people talking about the fact that you took that number one, um, marathon time in Indiana. I don't, I don't know who Rudy Chapa is. Is that embarrassing? Uh, Should I? Um,
1: it's not embarrassing, um, <laughs> but, but he was an all time great, um, Indiana high school athlete. He ran for Hammond, I believe. in like, I want to say the seventies, but you'll have to look it up. He went to university of Oregon. Um, and had a really successful career. He only ran one marathon. His two eleven fourteen, I think it was. He ran in New York, and then he retired shortly after that. Um, but he's—you should uh, look him up. He's hugely impressive.
0: Did you get a congratulations message from him?
1: No, but I, I would actually, uh, I would love to uh, connect with him. I think that'd be pretty cool. But the thing is, like, he only ran one, right? He he cut his career a little short. But uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to tip my hat to him for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, like when I tweeted this at you, but when my we were watching the race, um, I was like, guys, you know, that guy, he's been at our house before he sat on our couch one time <laughs> and he was like, they were, I mean, my kids were just, cause when you threw up, that was, I have yeah. a bunch of little boys. Like they thought that was like the craziest thing ever. And now they keep talking about you. Like you're like a normal everyday name in our house. Like, Oh, are you talking to Noah later?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For some reason, like puking on national TV is like the most relatable thing I've ever done.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, because a lot of us everyday folks here have thrown up at the finish line of a marathon, so, mm-hmm. and and that, I mean, that, honestly, it wasn't just, like, a little throw-up, that was, like, a full-on <laughs> deal there you had going on.
1: It was rough, yeah.
0: <laughs> Someone else, though, had a good throw-up afterwards, and I can't remember who now, but it didn't get caught on camera like yours.
1: Did I think it? it was Rory, I think Rory did
0: oh it was rory you're right i saw because and you see it on twitter yeah i saw a video you see it from the back because you see him bend (laughs) over and then really go for it he just didn't get the screen time you got no he gotta get second place for that
1: right yeah that's that's where the real glory is
0: uh well i i'm so so happy for you and you know long time coming so congratulations
1: thank you so much i appreciate you having me on
0: Don't forget, guys, he's staying on for Patreon now. So if you want to check that out, go to patreon.com slash lindseyhine. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for being here today. Thank you, Noah, for coming on the show. So happy for you. Make sure you go find Noah on social media. Let him know what you thought of the episode and give him a congratulations. He is Noah underscore dradi on Instagram. If you're not following him on Twitter, make sure you do that because he is a great follow over there. I built the arc, is his Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine626. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. We also have the Up and Running podcast with Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley, which is a running news based podcast. Why is Everyone Yelling with Lindsey Hine, which is a parenting podcast, and the Illuminate podcast. If you want to learn more about the Sandy Boy Network, make sure you check us out on Instagram, Sandy Boy Productions. All right, friends, have a really great rest of your week. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and we will see you next time on All Have Another.